We are beginning our series once again on the book of Romans. We began Romans back in September and made our way through Romans chapter 8, just the very beginning of Romans chapter 8, and we will continue our series of Romans uh, through Easter, through the end of April. Chapter 8 is where we will pick up once again today, and I, as you can see in the bulletin, as I outlined the book of Romans several months ago, had planned on preaching today on Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 27, but as I was meditating on this passage and preparing this passage, I thought verses to run through 14 through 27 will not give this passage any justice at all. So what I'm actually going to do is just look at verses 14 through 17, and then we'll look at verses 18 through 27 next week. So for the next three weeks, we will, and then the week after that, we will look at verses 28 through 39. So for the next three weeks, we will be camped out in the book of Romans. Some say that Romans chapter 8 is not only one of the most significant chapters in the book of Romans, but might be one of the most significant chapters in all of the Bible. So I think it is only right and fitting that we spend the next three weeks and don't rush. And I will try to do even these three, four verses justice this morning as we dig deep into Romans chapter 8. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. We learn about what it means this morning to be a child of God. Hear the word of God. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but thanks be to our Lord that the Word of God, it stands forever. Amen. I have a few questions for you this morning. Do you have a dad? Do you know him? Have you connected with your dad? Your dad might be deceased, but did you connect with him? Did you know him? Did you ever feel like you were the apple of his eye? One group, as they were getting to know each other in a new members class at a church, was doing an icebreaker to get to know the other new members in their class. And the pastor had the new members class go around and ask them if, if you had the chance to spend one hour with any historical figure, it couldn't be Jesus, so that took the pressure off, but any historical figure other than Jesus that you could spend one hour with, who would it be? And the new members class went around and some said Martin Luther, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. But one elderly man, 82, stood up and he said, that's easy. I choose to spend an hour with my dad. I never really got to know him. But if I had one hour to spend with anyone, it'd be with my dad. 
You see, we all long to be connected with Dad. But the good news of Jesus Christ and what we just read this morning tells us this. The gospel announces that because of Jesus, regardless of what your earthly relationship with your dad was like, you can have a heavenly father. You can have a relationship with dad. We can be reunited with God because of Jesus Christ. And because of the reunion that Jesus Christ ensures, we are reunited with our God and we can actually call him father. John chapter 1 tells us, but to all who did receive him, who all believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of God. So what I want to do this morning, looking at this passage that we just read, I want to look at two things concerning the children of God, our adoption and our benefits. Our adoption and our benefits as the children of God. The first thing that we see here in this passage is as children of God, we see that we are adopted. We are adopted into the family of God. That's the first point this morning. In verse 14 and the second half of verse 15, we read about our adoption as God's children. In verse 14, for all who have led, receive the spirit of God, are sons of God. The second half of verse 15, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the reason that adoption is needed, the adoption that is needed because for the children of God is because there are no natural children of God. There are no children of God that are naturally born as his children. This is why adoption as his children is required. Do you know that no one is automatically in the family of God? No one by birth is automatically a child of God. In Hosea, the prophet Hosea, in chapter 1, verse 9, in fact, God says, Hosea, I want you to name your child not my people because I'm not your God. You see, every one of us is born by nature. Our natural condition is to not be born as a child of God. Something else supernaturally has to happen. By nature, we are not his children. But you might say, but aren't we all God's children? Didn't we all learn that growing up? Well, yes, we're all created by God, but the idea of being a child of God, whether it be in the Old Testament or New Testament, was intimate language reserved only for those whom God had called, adopted, intimate language reserved only for those that had been adopted into the family of God. What's interesting about this idea of adoption, whether it be in Romans or anywhere else in the New Testament, is that the idea of legal adoption was not familiar and was not common in the Old Testament. In fact, this was actually a something that came about due to the Roman culture. So what Paul, what Paul is doing here is he's taking an idea from the Roman culture and he's applying it to what God is doing so they would understand and relate. He's taking a culturally relevant concept of legal adoption and comparing it to what God has done to make you and me his children. And this is how it would work. In the Roman culture, a man of great worth and had great wealth and prominence 
prominence, if he had no legal heir, he had no biological heir, he would adopt a son. He would adopt a male heir in which all of his wealth and all of his assets and all of his inheritance would go to. This was common in the ancient Roman world. And this is the beauty, and see how this parallels to the story of the gospel. The adopter... The, the man who had no legal heir, the adopter, when he adopted the son, would acquire all of the debts and all of the liabilities of that son and of that heir. And to the heir would go all of the wealth and all of the inheritance and all of the riches of the father that was adopting. Is that not the gospel? And understand why Paul is explaining what has happened to us Has God not acquired and assumed through his son Jesus Christ all of our debt and all of our sin and all of our burdens and brokenness in life? And in exchange, we receive what? All of the riches and all of the wealth and all of the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus Christ and the good news of Christianity. The good news of Christianity is that God only had one natural heir. His name was Jesus Christ, but he wanted more heirs. And he chose you through Jesus Christ as sons and daughters to be heirs through adoption. We see how God makes us sons and daughters through adoption. But we also see in adoption, we see the sovereignty of God in adoption. When a father or a mother adopts a child, it is not the child who chooses the father or the mother, but it's the father and the mother who chooses the son and daughter. And so we see the sovereignty of God even in the adoption of God as sons and daughters of God and as children of God, that it is God who sovereignly pursues. It is God who sovereignly loves. It is God who sovereignly chooses you and me to be one of his sons and daughters. We do not choose God, but God sovereignly chooses us. And we see it pictured so beautifully in the teaching here of adoption. This is our story. This is our song. You are a child of God because he chose you, he pursued you, adopted you to be an heir to all of the inheritance and all of the wealth of the riches of God. This is the adoption of the children of God. But like I said, we not only see the story of adoption here in verse 14 and 15, but we also see the benefits of being a child of God. We see the benefits of adoption. And there's a few that I want to highlight in these verses. The first benefit we see of adoption, the first benefit we see of being a child of God is assurance. Utter assurance and utter security, verses 15, 16, and 17, spell out beautifully what the benefit of assurance of the child of God looks like. In verse 15, Paul says, you have not received what? A spirit of slavery, the spirit of slavery which causes you to live in fear, but he's given you the spirit of adoption as a son of God. What does he mean by that? You see, for all of us, the thing that troubles us, the thing that torments us, is that we live our lives enslaved to the fears of this world. We live as a slave. You say, what does that mean? 
We enslave our hearts to people and the things of this world. And what Paul says is that if you enslave your heart and your affections to the things of this world, you will always live in fear. Why? Because you never know when the things of this world will just drop you. And Paul says, that's not what you've been given. You've received the Spirit of God, which means utter security and utter assurance that you have not been purchased as a slave in which one day the owner could just go, I'm done with you, I'm frustrated with you, I'm over you, I'm going to drop you. No, you've been purchased and you've received not the spirit of a slave, but you've received the spirit of a son of God. You've received the spirit of adoption, which means you are permanently, forever, a son and a daughter that you do not have a God that can one day go, I'm over you, I'm frustrated with you, I'm done with you. But you have a God that says you are forever mind. Such security, such permanence. But you might ask, how do we see this security? How is this security and this assurance secured? Paul goes on to further to say, not only have you received the spirit of a slave, but a spirit of adoption, but in verse 16, he explains how this assurance works. He says in verse 16 that the Spirit himself bears witness. What is Paul talking about here? What Paul is describing here is he's describing an ancient probate court. In an ancient probate court, it had to be determined who was the rightful heir to the inheritance. And a probate court requires what? Two witnesses. And so what Paul is saying here that the Spirit bears witness is the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the second witness. You are the first witness that you yourself bear testimony that you are a child of God, but God in his infinite wisdom said that will not be sufficient, that he also supplies a helper, a counselor. Here he calls it a definitive witness. The original Greek means not just a witness, but a definitive witness that along with you says, yes, he or she is a child of God. What good news. So that on those days where you fail to believe that you are a child of God, God says, in my infinite grace and wisdom, I am going to send another witness. And this will be the definitive witness in the courtroom of judgment of this world that will scream and declare to the jury, no, he or she is a child of the living God. When Paul says that this is the definitive witness... It's as if this witness would come in and the jury would slam their books, announce the verdict, case closed, he or she is forever a child of God. This is why we need the Spirit of God every single day, constantly reminding us that you are not what your past says you are, that you are not what the world says you are, but that you are in Christ a very child of God. But you might say, well, wait a second, you, you glossed over something way too quick, Rob. Okay, I get the whole idea of being adopted. I get the whole idea of the, the utter assurance and security that the Spirit of God provides. But, but Paul says, I've received the Spirit as a son of God. I knew it. I knew Paul was a chauvinist. A son of God, first century, I knew it. What's Paul doing here? Why does he say sons and not daughters? 
Paul's being very purposeful about that. You see, in the first century, there was only one group of people that had any rights to the inheritance. It was the eldest son. So Paul is intentionally here leaving out the word daughters to show the beauty of what God's gospel does. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's saying that if you are in Christ, male or female, Jew or Greek, free or slave, you are treated now as the eldest son with all of the rights to the inheritance of the riches of God. You in Christ, regardless of who you are, regardless of gender, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, what God says to you is he pronounces that you are treated like a son, like his very own son, Jesus Christ. And that is good news. So we see the benefit of assurance. We also see the benefit of intimacy. The benefit of intimacy as a child of God. The second half of verse 15 says, you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry what? We cry, Abba, Father. It would be Jesus himself when he teaches his disciples how to pray. He says, pray like this. And it would be the first time any group would ever be able to call God what? Our Father. In the Old Testament, you couldn't say the name of God. You couldn't write the name of God. But here, this radical Jesus Christ comes onto the scene and he says, when you talk to God... Because of me, you can now call him your Abba. You can now call him your Father. You see, one of the great benefits of being a child of God is the intimacy that we now experience with God because of Jesus Christ. We can call him our dad. We can call him our Father. No, you are not just one of four billion people on this universe. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have a Father, and you're his son. And you're his daughter. You're not just one of four billion people. You're one person that can lay your head down on your pillow every night. You can actually talk to your father. You can actually talk to your dad. And third benefit, in verse 17, not only do you see the benefit of utter assurance and sweet intimacy with God our Father, but we see the benefit in verse 17 of suffering. And you go, Pastor, I'll opt for the first two. I like the assurance, I like the intimacy, suffering. How is that a benefit? In verse 17, and if children, if we are children and heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might glorify with him. What Paul is saying is suffering in this present world is actually a privilege because we get to be counted with Jesus in his suffering. You see, the reason that we can find hope and assurance and good news and understand the benefit even in the midst of suffering is we can say, Jesus went low and we have the privilege of going low with him. Ross Whitfield said this, we have the quote on the screens, but Ross Whitfield, a theologian, said this about Jesus Christ. He said, we're all too familiar with walking the road to self-promotion, self-exaltation, and self-service, but the most astonishing sight on that road, a king, King Jesus, who passes us moving in this exact opposite direction to self-abasement, self-giving, and self-sacrifice. I love that. 
a king who passes us, moving in the exact opposite direction. The world says, pursue self-exaltation and self-promotion, and we encounter a Jesus that says, in order to go high, you must first go low. In order to be one day glorified, you must be suffer like me. A world mar- moving in one direction encounters a king marching in the others. But isn't this the story of the Beatitudes? Blessed are those that what? Are poor and mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst because one day those that suffer will experience all of the riches and glories of the kingdom of God. This is the challenge of our culture. Herschel W. York, theologian and Baptist seminary professor, said this regarding our culture. The easiest act of obedience for a Christian is gathering with the church for worship on Sunday. It only requires that you get up, get dressed, and get there. Yet amazingly, many Christians today will not do the easiest things and wonder why they struggle with the difficult things. We wonder why when life comes crashing down, when we go through our worst state possible, why we cannot find the stamina and the strength and the courage to go through the most difficult of circumstances because in our culture, we have not been willing to embrace even the easiest of circumstances. But this, brothers and sisters, is the benefit that we're able to suffer with Jesus so that regardless of what this world brings, regardless of what the circumstances of our life that we're faced with, we might be able to sing with all of the saints, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, this is my story, and this is my song, because my hope and my joy and my assurance is not based upon what happens to me or what I face in this current life, but what Jesus has done for me. So therefore, I might be able to suffer with joy and actually consider it a privilege to suffer and sacrifice for this world, just as my Savior did. So lastly, and the most pressing question for us this morning, how do you actually become a child of God? How do you actually experience in a real way the adoption and the benefits of being a child of God? You see, this morning, if you're in Christ and you consider yourself a child of God, you are a child of God for one reason and one reason alone. It's because Jesus first lost his father. What does that mean? You see, when Jesus was suffering on the cross... Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All other times up to that point, Jesus refers to God as Abba, Father. But it is on the cross for the first time and only time that Jesus cries out, not Abba, Father, but he cries out, my God, my God, why? Because it is in that moment on the cross that Jesus is covered with our sin, covered with your sin and my sin, and it's in that moment that Jesus is abandoned by the Father and can no longer call him Abba, Father, but can only call him God. And because Jesus lost his Father, because Jesus was abandoned by the Father, you can live with the assurance and the good news this morning that you will never be abandoned by your Father, 
that you will forever have a God. Because Jesus lost the Father, you can live with the assurance that you will never lose him. That is your hope this morning. That is how you become a child of God because Jesus lost God himself. Let me close with this. If you've never seen the 1989 movie starring Kevin Costner, the movie was Field of Dreams. And in the movie Field of Dreams, it's a story of an Iowa corn farmer by the name of Ray Kinsella, who's played by Kevin Costner. And as he's resting at night, he hears these words, if you build it, he will come. And he goes on this quest, Ray Kinsella, he goes on this quest to take his farm and to take his field and to build it into a baseball field with the desire and with the idea that out of the cornfield will come all of these baseball greats like Shoeless Joe Jackson and they will appear and he spends his, his money and his wealth and his time, he drives his family nuts, He's, he drives the community crazy, and, but he goes on this quest even willing to go bankrupt to build this field. But at the end of the movie, sure enough, all of the baseball greats emerge and they play baseball on this field. And when the game is over, he watches the catcher and when the catcher takes off his mask, who is it? He realizes it's his father. His father was the catcher. And in that moment, he realizes that all of the voices he had heard were not the voices of the baseball greats like Shoeless Joe Jackson, but the voices that he heard were actually the inner voices, the inner voices of himself crying and yearning to reconnect with his dad, to reconnect with his father that he never knew, to reconnect with his father on a deeper level. He was the one that if he builds it, he will come. And at the very end of the movie, there's that powerful scene where Ray Kinsella is talking to the catcher, which is his father. They talk, they shake hands, and his father turns to walk away, and Ray cries out to his father, hey, dad. And he gets all choked up, and he says, do you want to play catch? And father and son, for the first time, play catch with one another. And it's in that moment that the father and son play catch. They connect for the first time. And father and son relive what Ray has longed for ever since he's been a little boy. But you know what? Yearning for our father, yearning for our dad, is not just something for little boys and little girls. It's something that we live with for our entire life. And if you're here this morning and hearing this for the very first time, the good news is this. It doesn't matter what age you are. You can have a father. This is why Jesus came. Believe in him. To all that believed in him, to all that received him, he gives you the right this morning, this day, be counted and called a child of God. The Father's calling you home this morning. Would you come? Would you come home today? Every father, every child 
longs to be the apple of their father's eye. And if you're in Jesus this morning, you are. You're his favorite.